they tend to open up. And especially because I'm not in a prison uniform, so they will share a bit more with me than they would with the officers, which is actually really important because it gets them talking about things they wouldn't always feel confident opening up about. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Burnt Chef Journal, a hospitality-specific podcast dedicated to challenging mental health stigma and conversations designed to inspire a new, healthier, happier, and more sustainable hospitality profession. Hello, everybody. My name's Julia, your Burnt Chef Ambassador, and I'm pleased to be guest hosting a mini-series for the Burnt Chef Project podcast, openly discussing mental health, our brilliant hospitality sector, and an array of topics to create insightful conversations and give you maximum value. I have a brilliant lineup of guests covering everything from psychotherapy, mindfulness, diet hang-ups, cooking therapy, all the way to spirituality. Now, did you know that four out of five hospitality professionals report having experienced at least one mental health issue during their career? The Burnt Chef Project is a globally recognized not-for-profit social enterprise fully committed to making the hospitality profession healthier and more sustainable by focusing on people's well-being first. This is why it has never been more important to be talking about our mental health and well-being. For more information on this amazing project, go to www.theburntchefproject.com. A little bit about me, I'm a transformation coach, an obsessed master of self-discovery, guiding women to believe in themselves, find the motivation to take action and create a life they truly believe in and are excited about. I'm also a professional chef with over 20 years in the hospitality sector, an educator, radio broadcaster and writer through my own life experiences, including two divorces, domestic abuse, depression and homelessness, I learned firsthand that to make any real change in your life, you have to start from within. You can find me online at therecipeforlife.com. Now, so excited about my podcast topic this week. It's one very close to my own heart. How can cooking support our mental health? And joining me is an incredible chef, criminologist, head of food education in prison, Natalia Middleton. Now, Natalia has been in the hospitality sector since the age of 15 after studying criminology at Auckland University, New Zealand. She came to the UK to train as a professional chef at world-renowned Leeds School of Food and Wine. Natalia now heads up food education food behind bars, focusing on food in prisons and training prisoners so they are empowered through the love of food and cooking and supporting them to gain employment in the hospitality industry upon release. Natalia is also an ambassador for Be Inclusive Hospitality, which helps create a more diverse and inclusive hospitality industry. She has also been featured in the Code Hospitality 30 Under 30 2022 list and the Code 100 Most Influential Women in Hospitality 2022 in their community section. The Burnt Chef Project is proudly sponsored by Lamb Weston, a leading provider of innovative, high-quality potato products created for chefs to help operators thrive both today and tomorrow. Working carefully with sustainably-minded farmers and growers, Lamb Weston provides potato solutions for every type of kitchen, from premium British chips and fries to potato shapes, wedges and mash. To find out more, Head to lambwestern.eu or search your partner in potatoes. Oh my gosh, I, I feel absolutely breathless. Natalia, welcome to the Burnt Chef Project podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to be on and hopefully share some insights about what I do. Amazing, 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 amazing. And honestly, I'm so impressed by the things that you've done. I mean, seriously, criminology, chefing, I mean, my question actually is going to be first, criminology to chefing? How? Why? 
That's a very fair question and one I get actually quite a lot. To be honest, when I left high school in New Zealand, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And luckily for me, my parents said, go to uni and do something you're interested in and get a degree. And that's the first step. So I've always been interested in the subject of criminology, why people commit crimes, how we can help them to stop and things like that. So I did criminology. I actually uh, minored in ancient history. So I think there were three of us in the whole university doing that degree, but it was really awesome. So I did that. And actually, the way I got into chefing was in my second year of my criminology degree, my Nana passed away really suddenly. And I really struggled. I took six months off, I came to the UK. And I just spent some time kind of finding myself loving life. And whilst I was here, I did a month long cooking course at Leith School of Food and Wine. And in that month, I thought, hold on a second. I really love cooking. This is something that I want to do. So I went back to New Zealand, <laughs> finished my criminology degree because I had to finish it. There was no way I wasn't going to finish. And then pretty much as soon as I finished, I came back to London and did my full nine month diploma in food and wine at Leeds. And wow. yeah been doing it ever since and the rest is history as they say exactly exactly you know I'm sure there are many people that are probably totally and utterly relate to that I certainly can myself I started in marketing and PR and then it was actually when I was in my 30s because I'm going to say Natalia is actually is only just turned 30 I mean seriously wow and you know I actually trained as a chef when I was about 32 years old I'd always cooked and and you know culturally my life's food and cooking but um I was in PR marketing marketing and then I, I, I sort of fell into the chef sector at the age of 32 and yeah 20 years ago and the rest is history so yes you know I could totally relate to that and how incredible is that so of course you got this criminology degree you've now you know done the the chefing the full-on chefing diploma amazing and what and you know what was that like actually what was that like in the kitchen for that nine months tell me about that it was both the best thing I've done and sometimes potentially the worst thing I've ever done. Yeah. Not for any other reason than I think a lot of us who were there, we knew that it was a career path. So we took it very, very seriously. Mm. And if things didn't go quite right, I remember one day we were filleting a fish. It was probably the first time I'd filleted a fish and I could not get the hang of it. So I started crying. But it's, you know, I think people think, oh, you're just going to culinary school. It's pretty relaxed. It was nine months of hard work. You know, you're mm -hmm. doing homework every night. You've got practical exams. You've got theory exams. You wow. have other little projects to do as well. And for me, it was actually the first time I've realized so I have uh, dyscalculia, which is basically maths dyslexia. And I've wow. always been lucky enough to have support, you know, through high school to get into uni, I had to have extra help. And this was sort of the first time I was on my own, having to deal with that in a setting where actually maths is used loads. Yeah. And it was really hard. I remember it being a real struggle. That we one of the exercises we had to do was a costing exercise. Mm. We had to use Excel. We had to cost out ingredients. We had to add up all the totals, and I actually couldn't do it. And I thought this is going to make me fail. And I just, I think I won't lie. I think in the end, I just sent it to my dad, and he did it for me. But <laughs> <laughs> I still tried. That was the main thing. I did try, but no, Leith's was amazing. Yeah, I did love it. I really did. Yeah. So incredible. But also, it's really nice that, you know, you, you can talk so openly about that and be able to relate to that as an experience yourself in, in the challenges that you face, the challenges that you've had in your life. And really touching in on the topic, you know, we're talking about today that, you know, how food can be such a support, actually, such a salvation, such a, you know, an important part of our lives in so many ways, right? Definitely. And for me, it is. And it's, I think the one thing I've, you know, everyone always says, oh, well, why don't you do so much baking or why aren't you into pastry? 
And it's because of that sort of maths element, my brain just doesn't get it. Whereas no. give me, and actually I think my husband finds it really irritating. He'll say, oh, we have nothing in the house and I'll open the fridge or I'll open the cupboard. And I absolutely love being able to say, no, we do. I can make something out of, you know, we have a few potatoes, we've got some yeah. veg, we've got some sauces. I will make us dinner from that. And that's probably my favorite thing to do is just create something new, cooking, mm -hmm. find it really mm -hmm. relaxing. Yeah, I say that. I find it really relaxing when I'm in the kitchen on my own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say quick caveat, quick caveat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, that, not that my husband isn't helpful, but sometimes. I have set ways I like to do things and he kind of sometimes gets in the way. So if I have, you know, the other day I made some slow cooker pork cheeks that I got given by one of the prisons we work with, which is amazing. We'll about that later. But yeah. I just thought, okay, I'm going to make something really delicious. And I spent, my husband was asleep on the sofa and I spent an hour and a half prepping the pig's cheeks, prepping all the veg, getting them in the slow cooker and just cooking a really delicious pork cheek stew that we had later that day. And I just thought, actually, this is perfect. This is why I do what I do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's therapeutic. It's just, I mean, food is therapy, isn't it? It's from, you know, eating it, enjoying it, the things that we eat, but also the actual process, the actual process of, of, of the cooking, the buying of the ingredients, the chopping, because uh, one of my guests was a mindfulness coach and food mindfulness. And, you know, and actually food is, cooking is about being able to get into that zone of mindfulness isn't it that zone that space where you can just be yourself and yeah just, yeah right 100 and especially the things so I worked at School of Wok for two years as one of their chef tutors right. and one of the things I really worked out whilst I was there is how relaxing I find repetitive things yeah. so lots of chopping of ingredients because you can kind of get into the zone of that and then kneading and rolling and folding things like dumplings. Wow. It, you know, I would make 200 in a day just because yeah. <laughs> you know, it was really relaxing. And if now, whenever I need to clear my head, I go for a walk, either on my own or with the dog, headphones yeah. in, listen to some music, and then I come home and I cook something that involves lots of repetitive processes. And then after that, I feel pretty good. So. It's amazing. Yeah. See, that's a really good tip, everybody, you know, to actually engage in that cooking. And yeah, the repetitiveness of it, of just, you know, just chopping, just chopping for an hour. Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, just cooking or, you know, going out for a walk, anything like that. And any, any kind of repetitive movement, it does actually really help you to clear your head. And then that's when you actually get insights and little aha moments, actually, when you are in that zone of just doing the same thing. So washing the dishes is a very key mindfulness technique, actually, and actually just fully immersing yourself in the process of washing the dishes, uh, the warm water and, and the soaping and and actually washing off the dirt of the dishes and and then you know actually rinsing them and then the drying of them so you know again with cooking it's um, it's peeling the onion then cutting it in half and then chopping it and dicing it and and all the other elements that go with that is just such a lovely activity. So, you know, I want to sort of ask you, because um, obviously you, you got into food education. So you said that you worked at the School of Work, you were teaching. You know, what sort of led you into wanting to do the teaching side of cooking rather than actually going into a, a hot, sweaty kitchen, you know, and actually working as a chef in a restaurant or whatever? So that's actually a really interesting one. I did work in a few restaurants. I worked in some really big mass catering production kitchens, and that was a really hard graft. And it was just, there's a couple of things. So firstly, working in that environment just wasn't good for me mentally. I was working really terrible hours. You know, sometimes I'd be in the kitchen at 8 a.m. and not getting home until midnight, which yeah. was a long day I wasn't seeing my husband and this, you know this was before we got married but you know we were sort of passing ships and that just wasn't great for me 
I was working weekends, so I never got to see my friends. So my mental health just completely dived. But then the other side of it is I have a condition called endometriosis, which is a chronic pain condition that affects one in 10 people with reproductive organs in the world. And it's very painful, debilitating illness, basically. And I just couldn't do it anymore, unfortunately. And teaching was a way of being able to share my skills, my knowledge, interact with people, which I love doing, but also have a job that was slightly more structured, more nine to five-ish, or you know, at least hours that weren't insane. And so mm-hmm. for me, that was really important. I actually, yeah. it was whilst I was at least seeing the other teachers, I thought, okay, I, I could probably do this somehow. <laughs> I didn't really know what processes I needed to do. And basically what I did was just push Leith's once I'd left. I'd just message them and say, hey, can I come in and do some freelance teaching? Am I allowed to come in and shadow? Can I learn from the best, basically? And I think they got so sick of me (laughs) begging them that one day they said, yes, come on. So I worked there as a freelance teacher for about two years, which I really loved. And whilst I was there, I just off my own back decided okay I need to do something to solidify everything I've learned so I did my level three city and guilds teaching further education qualification which was really really useful and I really enjoyed doing it I'm one of those people who has kind of always loved learning in some form so really worthwhile for me and that sort of has, I must, you know, that's basically opened a lot of doors to get into School of Walk. Obviously, you have to have cooking skills and that kind of thing. But just having that little teaching certificate on the CV has uh, certainly helped. So that's how I got into teaching. And I'm really pleased I did because I love it so much. And now, especially in the job I do, it's even more important and rewarding for me. So, yeah. Wow, wow. I mean, it is, it is rewarding, isn't it? I know I've, I've, I've been teaching for about 15 years now and, you know, teaching a whole section of people from adults to the young learners. And it does, it's very enlightening, I think, and so beautiful when you have seen these people develop, when you see um, your students actually growing and learning and, and actually really loving what they're doing as well and appreciating the joy of cooking and knowing how to cook, right? It's such a key skill. It really, it honestly is. And I think it's just so amazing. And, you know, we need more educators and cookery teachers and, you know, and, and we need the schools to continue to teach kids and keep cooking on the menu, you know, keep cooking on their curriculum. Because I think it is so important to actually learn it from a young age did you did you have um any kind of learning a background of, of cooking when you were young when you were little in your family Natalia? yeah I learned a lot from my nana I was one of those kids who would if there was food somewhere I was normally around it so I was pretty <laughs> much always in the kitchen my mum yeah. not so much now but when we were younger she was my mum I was lucky enough that when so long story but we lived in the UK before we moved to New Zealand and my dad used to run restaurants in London so I kind of spent a lot of my childhood in and out of those around food you know a lot of different cultures in our family I was born in Brazil my dad's English my mum's a Kiwi so food has always been a really big part of everything we do but you know we had a a Thai nanny growing up and so my love of Thai food has been <laughs> around yeah. for a long time and flavors that, you know, I was lucky enough to learn about and understand from a young age. So it's amazing. I, I mean, look, it was written on the cards, Natalia. It was in there. It was written for you already. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was your destiny. This was your destiny. So now, yeah, fast forward today and you work for an organization called Food Behind Bars. You are actually head of education for Food Behind Bars. Now, Food Behind Bars is a is a charity. Am I right? Are they actually yes. a charity? Yeah. Yes. So, so tell me more about that. Food Behind Bars is, as you say, a charity. It was started as a 
campaign to talk about food in prison and the state of food in prison by my boss, Lucy Vincent, who was a journalist at the time. And we have now officially been a charity for just over two years. I was the first employee last year. I started as the development chef and I am now head of food education, which is my dream job. It's amazing for me. I couldn't, when it it came up online, I actually couldn't believe that it existed. I think I, I even remember, it was quite bold of me, before I had applied, I sent Lucy a message saying, this is my dream job. I will get this, <laughs> which wow. was probably a bit pushy, but I wanted to know, <laughs> I needed everyone to know that I was going to fight for this. So yeah, as I said, we're a charity and we work across prisons in England and hopefully long-term across the UK. So the furthest north we work at the moment is Yorkshire and we work with quite a few prisons in the Midlands and down in London as well. And we do a lot of different things. We have a butchery project at an open women's prison in Kent, which is incredible. So we have employed an amazing butcher trainer who does a program with the women there. We have run street food entrepreneurial courses, which have been really popular and the men really love. We have done HMP's best chef competitions, which was something that was run throughout the COVID pandemic as a kind of way to boost morale in various different prisons and has been amazing. And we've met some incredible men and women through that. We also do menu and recipe development. So uh, the main thing that Food Behind Bars do and want to do is improve the food that men and women are eating in prisons in their day-to-day life. So at the moment, it's quite difficult to do that. The budget for food in prisons is minute. It's roughly £2.10p per prisoner per day for three meals. Wow, no way. What I see that I didn't know that. Oh my goodness me. If you're enjoying this week's episode, consider heading over to our website and supporting our ongoing work in destigmatizing mental illness and creating a healthier, happier, and more sustainable industry by purchasing some of our branded merchandise. We have a whole range of t-shirts, hoodies, chef's jackets, well-being journals, plus a whole host more available on Worldwide Dispatch. All funds raised from sales of these items go towards free-to-access e-learning content, as well as providing free support systems and help for those who may be experiencing difficulty with their mental health. So it's a real struggle. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also Imagine. one ingredient supplier for every single prison in the UK. Wow. Which is also a very difficult thing to deal with. Yeah. But challenge. We, it's a real challenge, but we are lucky enough, one of the prisons that we work with, they had some incredible big greenhouses that weren't being used. So we managed to put in a new irrigation system for them. We got some volunteers in, we got seeds for them, we got compost. So they have been planting an incredible array of vegetables. We sent the prison officers off on a beekeeping course. So oh, brilliant. Had, no way. Yeah. <laughs> and it was amazing. So, we, But the best thing is, so they've now got three hives, I think. So we can start producing honey from next year. But oh, it's been brilliant. brilliant. So the officers who went out on the course have then come in and trained the prisoners in how to look after the bees, which is interestingly, beekeeping is really good for your mental health. So, yeah. wow, wow. Yeah, so that's, it, the game. that's the ultimate thing, isn't it? That you know, you're setting up all these different projects and creating all these things that you know, with the greenhouse and the beehive. But ultimately, it's for the betterment of the prisoners. Ultimately, it's for the good of the prisoners so that the prisoners gain these skills, right? Exactly. So, that's the overarching thing. So, basically, our main things that we want to do is improve the food that they're eating so that they feel better about themselves it tends to be 
really high carb, not very much protein and not very much fruit and veg. Basically, the reason that there's so many carbs is so that the men and women sleep a lot. So they're not that active. So they like. So, for example, in most prisons, they get given their breakfast, which is a pack. So it has usually a piece of bread, maybe some cereal, some long life milk, a couple of tea bags, some sugar and a coffee sachet. They get given that with their dinner the night before so that they, you know, can choose when they eat it. But the problem is they're having their lunch and I'm talking, you know, your normal main meal of the day. They have it anywhere between half past 10 in the morning and 11. So they're eating their lunch really early and then they're getting their evening meal roughly about five o'clock so unless they can afford to supplement food from canteen which is like the prison tuck shop basically then they're eating at really weird times of the day they're having a really high carb meal they go to work really early in the morning they come back to their cell for lunch so 11 o'clock they get locked in their cell with their food which they eat They then stay in their cell until about half past one, two o'clock. So in that time, they don't have much to do. They can watch TV. Maybe they can read. They can sleep. But the worst thing is they're eating alone most of the time unless they share. But Mm. they've got their loo right next to them. They have their bin. You know, there's and most of the time they don't have covers on their loos. So they're just sitting alone, basically miserable. Mm. eating food that's actually not always the best now Mm. there are prisons and catering managers that are doing really brilliant things and really doing their best with the budget so I can't you know I'm not saying it's all prisons that's right you know I have you know you have to say that and it's true there are a lot that do really wonderful things and then that is a really tough part and interestingly Mm. I so every two weeks I work with a group of young men aged 18 to 27 in a prison in the Midlands and we do cooking lessons in their staff bistro but all the food that we cook is used for staff lunch that day so that the staff can come in and buy it and it's really great because a the men are out of their cells or pads whatever you want to call it all day so from about half eight in the morning until about four o'clock in the afternoon. So they don't need to go back. They get to have slightly different food. And then when we're up there, we're always teaching them new dishes, exciting dishes. I was actually there yesterday and, you know, I love going there because this, I've worked with the same group of men for just over a year now. And so I've really seen their progress and they get so excited and they love being creative and trying new things. So yesterday, for example, we cooked a vegetarian Thai red curry. We did turmeric rice. We did curry flavored chicken with peanut satay sauce. And we did, they were delicious. We did soy, ginger and spring onion roast potatoes. That come from a friend of mine's cookbook. So it's, you know, it's just really nice to give them different ideas and that you know they wrote on their feedback forms we loved trying new ways with potatoes we would have never thought of this and they'll say hey nat come and look at this come and see how well my knife skills have improved yeah. or you know, i've really been practicing or hey i've told my mum about this dish we're going to make it when i'm out or thanks so much for letting me make the coriander chutney this week i got to make it the way my mum did and yeah. it's just little things like that that really it's it's amazing because it's been the same group or a very similar group, but sometimes they change. Sometimes they get naughty and they get fired, but you know, that's prison life. These things happen, but the core of them have stayed the same. And because we've been able to build a rapport, they tend to open up. And especially because I'm not in a prison uniform. So they Mm -hmm. will share a bit more with me than they would with the officers, which is actually really important because it gets them talking about things they wouldn't always feel confident opening up about so you know for example one of the young men was going to an open prison which is category d so getting ready to be released and an open prison is very different to the closed setting 
And he said to me before he left, he said, Nat, I'm really nervous. You know, I've been inside for five years. I don't know what to expect in an open prison. So, you know, I was able to give him some ideas of what he could do and who he can go and talk to and telling him that actually it's okay to open up and explain that he's feeling Mm. this way and that it's normal. And then actually yesterday we were having a conversation because one of the young guys, he used to say to me, Nat, when I, you know, I'd get really angry. And when I used to get really angry, I'd turn to alcohol and I would drink a lot. And that's the reason I'm in jail. But, you know, he's been in for three years now. And he said to me yesterday, he said, now when I'm angry, I go to the gym or I exercise. So he's Mm -hmm. been able to realize that actually moving his body and exercising is a really positive thing. And, you know, I said to him, oh, I've been, I think I mentioned to them that I'd been to the gym the day before. And I think that they quite like the fact that a women go to the gym. <laughs> is, yeah. But for me, I said to him yesterday, I've been struggling with my mental health recently. I've had a few blips, you know, I've not mm. been able to do the things I normally could do because of an ankle injury. And because of that, I've had to use the gym and the machines in the gym because they require less use of my legs. Mm. And in the beginning, I hated going to the gym. I couldn't understand the point of it. And now I love it. And for him to hear another person say, A, that they suffer with their mental health, but B, talk about things that they do that work and help them, his face lit up. And so it's, you know, it's as much as I'm a chef and a teacher and a cook and a recipe writer and developer and all those kind of things, I'm also like a therapist sometimes or a mentor or a, yeah, or just a safe space that they can talk to. And I think people forget that those things are really important in life as well. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is what cooking can do. I do a bit of cooking therapy within some of my coaching work. And it's interesting to be able to see that when you're engaged in an activity like that, how much people open up to you. And actually what's interesting is, is that the fact that let's say they don't have to necessarily give you eye contact because they've got this almost what is a bit like a buffer and I see it with young people with teenagers who I teach when you're engaged in mixing dough making bread kneading or chopping or filleting or deburning or whatever you know and as we talk it through I find the kids opening up and are more able to talk about certain things and talk about their feelings and talk about what's going on And I've always found that sometimes when you've got that little buffer and you've got the cooking there as as a support, people do open up. I guess in some ways what's lovely about what you do and what you've seen as well is that, like you said, they don't see you as one of the prison guards or in a uniform or a threat. And actually they see you more as somebody who is in some ways there to support them, to help them, to give them these wonderful skills. And therefore an element of trust has been built up, isn't it? Because that is so crucial, especially if you're going through something as well. You know, I'm really um, interested to ask, especially about, say, the prisoners and the comments that they make, and particularly around mental health, because I imagine that many of them, based on some of the things that you've said, I can imagine that it can be quite stressful and difficult for them to be in such an institutionalised environment and an environment where there is the possibility, I don't know, of loneliness and feeling helpless. And how do you feel that the cooking and the education and the teaching and having them involved in the things you're doing, how how do you feel that that has helped them? That's a really good question. And you're right. I think there is a lot of men and women in prison suffer hugely with their mental health, especially during COVID. And that's been a real thing that has stuck around. For example, during COVID, they were locked in their cells for 23 hours a day. You know, that's... They had enough time to get out and have a shower, basically, and sometimes call their loved ones. But that is it. And the rest of the time they were in their cells. So it's been tough for them. Some of them really struggle. A lot of them are heavily medicated, which is really tough. And it means that they then gain weight. And so they struggle with their body image as well. So there's a lot of them trying to control 
what they eat. So they'll try and work out ways to count calories and exercise loads, which isn't necessarily a wonderful thing. So what we try and do when we do our classes and we go into the prisons is A, we always try and be a really positive and happy place for them to be. And we try and create that environment of they know they're in prison. We don't need to remind them of that. So let's just talk about other things. You know, we don't really ask them about unless they want to and they sort of push it. We don't talk about those things. And I try and keep it nice and light and fun. And we have conversations and we put music on. So we try and make it a really nice, relaxed environment. I mean, yesterday they had the football on because it's the World Cup. Oh. And <laughs> which is totally fine. But even for two seconds, if it gives you something to talk about that's not being in prison, then I think that's great. And so I work with my same core group, but then I do shorter cooking classes with groups that I don't actually know that well. And even yesterday on the feedback form, one of them just said it was really nice to have some normal social interaction and be treated like a human being. And I think that's a really big thing. Mm. And especially with these young men, they, yes, they're in prison. Yes, they've obviously done something not great. But if you look into, this is where my criminology degree comes in. If you look at the reasons why they're in there, it's usually to do with poverty or they have a parent who's already in or they've grew up in gangs or, you know, around violence and domestic abuse and things like that. So for a lot of them, it was inevitable, really. So you can't treat them like they're dirt. And unfortunately, you know, and I remember probably a month ago, actually, we did an exercise for Black History Month and it was you know, they just had to write down what do you want people to know about your culture or your background. And a lot of the men, especially in London prisons, are from ethnic minority backgrounds, which is can also be very difficult in prison. And they were writing things like, and it was honestly heartbreaking, writing things like, not all black men are bad. We don't all smell not, you know, some of us can swim and just all these sort of stereotypical things that they have clearly had to deal with outside before they came in and probably are still dealing with inside. It was quite a big eye opener. And so for me, my rule is always treat them like a human being. I try and actively avoid not knowing what their sentence is or what they're in for unless they tell me, because sometimes it's important for them to tell you so that you can, you know, break down those barriers and give them ideas and things like that, which is fine. Absolutely. But if I don't know what they're in for, you just treat them all as humans. And Absolutely. that's right. Well, this is a great thing about cooking though, isn't it? Cooking brings us all together, you know, irrelevant of race, religion, irrelevant of color, culture, whatever, anything, you know, we're all humans we're all one and we're all the same and actually cooking unites us in that it's a language isn't it it's a shared language um a a shared experience and I think that's what's important and and, you know it would be love to hear more about the success stories because I know as part of the food behind bars project as part of your work as well as then teaching them in the prisons empowering them with this incredible skill they then the prisoners that are released go on to get jobs in hospitality and let me just say you know I'm to tell everybody and I'm you know I'm always singing the praises of hospitality because you know it's my industry it's our industry and we love it and we love it so much that what's wonderful about hospitality is it's so welcoming of people from all backgrounds from all experiences you know if you've got the skill you're in you know the hospitality industry and you know I'm not saying everybody but as a whole is so welcoming no matter who you are if you can cook and you've got the skill then there is progression there is opportunities for you that's what I feel anyway and so you know it would be nice to hear about some of the success stories that you've had out of this yeah no I completely agree and I'm just going to put a little hint out there if you are an employer in the hospitality sector and you can employ people who have been released, please do. 
even if you're just doing a job trial, get them in, get them through the doors, show them what you're about, sell yourselves to them because yes, yes, yes. Honestly, I have some of the prison kitchens I have been to are better run than restaurant kitchens and catering kitchens I've worked in, and they know how to work hard. So please, if you can, think about employing from places that you wouldn't normally think to hire from. That's just going to be my little push. Definitely, definitely. Agreed. In terms of success stories, this is an interesting one. The reality is it can be really difficult to get the people in and staying in, especially if they've been in on a long sentence and they're so institutionalized. For the first few weeks, you almost need to babysit them at a new job. So it's sometimes a case of make you know also they sometimes they don't have a bank account when they get released they don't have a phone they don't have an email so these are all things that we help them with so you know we've got people mobiles we've got them tablets so that they have access to emails and things like that but you know we've actually just last week one of the young men we've been working with who won one of our HMP best chef competitions and had his curry on a restaurant menu He's just been in for a job trial. So we're just waiting to hear back from that. But, you know, he's ready. He's keen. He's hardworking, which is really exciting. We had another couple. They're all at the stage of they're in the still in the process of applying. But we're getting there, which is really exciting. And then we have some people who actually decide they don't need our help because of the circumstances that, you know, they've already got the support that they need. But we Mm. get emails saying, hey, Nat, just wanted to let you know I'm doing really well. Not all of them go into cooking. They tend to quite enjoy physical jobs. So a lot of them go, they'll cook in prison because it's, you know, therapy and it's a good job. It keeps them out of their cells. But then when they're out, they'll go into like scaffolding or something where Mm. they can use their bodies because they've not necessarily used them for so long and they like being outside and that kind of thing but you know we get them always checking in saying hey we're okay we're doing this so that's really nice we're getting there and we've got a few more coming out over the next few months which we'll be helping with so amazing we'll just do you offer support to them on the outside are you you are still in touch with them you are still supporting them on the outside we definitely are you know they have our email they have our phone numbers, you know, I've been chatting to a couple today, actually, just making sure that so tomorrow, in fact, I'm doing a cooking class for prisoners who have been released and are struggling with ideas for cooking with limited equipment, limited ingredients, cooking on a budget, that kind of thing. So we tend to see quite a few of them come to that because they just a like being able to see us. They like the social interaction and they like ideas. So it's a really exciting thing to do yeah. and they really enjoy it. So I'm seeing a few of them tomorrow. So. That's so beautiful. I think that is just that warms my heart so much. And you know what's really great, I think, with cooking and with a skill, you know, learning a skill and teaching a skill like cooking, it's, it's, it gives them hope, doesn't it? It gives them hope that they can actually leave prison and there is something for them to do. There's always a job available, no matter where, because the thing is with cooking, isn't it? No matter where you are in the world, when you have a practical skill like that, it doesn't matter where you go, what part of the country you live in, where you are in the world, you can always get a job because you know how to cook. (laughs) Exactly. And that's the real important thing for us is, you know, a lot of them will say, now we're not into that. We're not that into cooking. We don't really care about it at the beginning. And then by the end of it, we've managed to say, hey, you're actually pretty good at this. Maybe you should look at a job in a restaurant or, you know, some of them are so good at front of house and something like a cafe job where it's still in the day, the hours are great, they would absolutely thrive in and you get them thinking and then they go, yeah, okay, I would like to do that. This always makes me laugh, but a lot of people in prison have a very good business mindset. (laughs) And... (laughs) I love that. Yeah, really great entrepreneurial skills. And so a yes. lot of them, when they get released, create their own food businesses, you know, like street food bands and things like that, or that's oh. what they want to do. So yeah. you know, we've had our street food course has been really exciting. And for us, we've linked in with Curb. Who Curb, are yes. In, yeah. 
based in London and they're amazing. So they run a sort of street food entrepreneurial program. And we've yeah. actually, I'm hoping they're in now, but we have been able to get some laptops with the course already on into HMP ISIS, which is a young offenders prison in London, so that the young men can start the course and do it whilst they're inside so that they're ready yeah. to go and sort of follow this pathway with curb once they're out so they can do brilliant weeks of work experience and training with curb yeah. they get a job interview and then they can go into a job at the end if they want so they have sort of a set pathway ready for yeah. when they leave brilliant oh my god that is just oh my goodness I'm so excited about that that is just brilliant it's just so happy that young prisoners young men they can go out there and there is an opportunity for them already you know it's available it's available from the time they're in to then when they Wednesday when they get out I think that is so fantastic so do you give them a little bit of advice to manage their mental health when they are in those situations when they are in the work situation once they do get out is there support for them do you help them how to manage themselves within a kitchen as well do you give them that kind of advice too yes I do I try and keep it to not necessarily just in work but obviously kitchens are a high stress environment a lot of the time so mm. we try and help give them skills especially myself because I've been in that environment, I yeah. can give them ideas of what I did or what I used to do when I was in those environments. So for me, it was always not necessarily things whilst I was in the kitchen, but things I would do before I got to work or at the end of the day to help make sure my day went well. So I would always make sure it was, you know, have a good breakfast, make sure I've got water in the kitchen with me all the time yes that might mean you need to go to the loo a bit more but keeping yourself hydrated is really key having mm. lots of veg lots of protein getting out in the sunshine hours or taking daylight daylight seeing daylight huge. kitchens are in the basement or wherever it is yeah <laughs> exactly so you know for me it would always be i would try and walk to work as much as possible or get off the tube a few stops earlier so I can get some fresh air and get some daylight before I go into the dungeon yes. as it, you know <laughs> it usually is. things like that but then also for me sometimes being in a high stress environment kicks in my anxiety and you can get panic attacks or get quite panicky so I have a Fitbit and on my Fitbit there is a little you can click through and it gives you something where it helps your breathing so wow. if I need to do that, I'll just flick that over and follow my breathing until I calm myself down. Or, you know, sometimes if I've maybe had too many coffees in the day because I just needed to keep awake a little bit longer, I get probably too much caffeine. I get a bit panicky. So I would do like grounding exercises. So wherever I was, I would sort of say, weirdly, it happens a lot on the tube. I think it's because it's an enclosed space. But I'll be like, you know, I'm getting on the tube. I am at this station. I can see these posters around me. It's little things like that that mm. they don't necessarily think of is quite important. Because a lot of them, it's just like, oh, you know, go to the gym, eat well, go to bed early. But it's, yeah. it's the extra things. And, you know, for a lot of them, I think it's quite interesting. A lot of them choose when they get released if they have the opportunity to not go back to where they were when they went into prison. And I think that it must be really difficult for them. But if you are able to, I think it's fantastic because then you know you're not in the environment that put you in there. So a lot of them choose to move away from, you know, if they're London-based, they'll move out of London. If right. they're based, they might move to London, for example. Yeah, it's really sensible, isn't it? It's really sensible. I think, you know, a lot of the time when you've been in a certain situation is actually really important to disconnect yourself, actually, to disconnect and move away from that place in order to be able to rehabilitate, to be able to start over, start a new life, a new beginning and reconnect to your own self. 
and what's good for you and what's going to serve you best. So I, I think that is actually really important. Yeah, thank you. So Natalia, it's been really enlightening. You know, you've really opened my eyes to the work that you do and the incredible work that you do actually and to these amazing men and women who actually get to learn this beautiful skill and come out and hopefully come into the sector we need you we need you so you know please pursue the career because it's absolutely worthwhile but yes but in the same breath managing your mental health as well and I think that is so amazing so Natalia tell everyone where they can find you where they can find more about food behind bars and how can people actually get involved yeah so well first of all thank you so much for having me it's been really great to chat you can find us on twitter at food behind bars you can find us at foodbehindbars.co.uk and you can also find us on instagram at food behind bars you can also find me at nat m cooks on instagram i've been a little bit quiet on there recently but i am trying to get back into it and i'm also on twitter at nm cooks but you know i do talk about a lot of love island on there so maybe it's not the most exciting as we said right at the beginning food behind bars is a charity so donations so we can keep up our work is hugely important every now and then we post little fundraising things online so recently we were requesting baking books for a prison bakery so if you ever see those and you have spare cookbooks either please get in touch with us or find your local prison and you can usually send them there they love books oh wow oh wow i didn't know that i just gave a whole load away oh my god (laughs) gave them all to oxfam i mean you know it's a worthy cause i gave them all to oxfam but oh my god i had a massive clear out of all my cookery books because i was literally caving under the (laughs) under the weight of all the books but I shall remember that okay exactly. next time I'm having a clear I shall remember that yeah <laughs> and we have fundraising events throughout the year we had one a few months ago and we are doing one hopefully in January or February where we will be getting the women on our butchery course involved so they'll be doing some demonstrations and cooking some food so that's in the pipeline now uh, wow. so keep an eye out for that But also I think my biggest thing about how you can get involved is we have a Food Behind Bars podcast, which Lucy, my boss did, and it's really, really eye-opening. But talk about prison food, talk about why it's important that men and women are fed the right things. And just remember that people aren't always bad in prison and to treat those that you meet like human beings and please employ people who have left prison. That's huge. But otherwise just follow us, talk about us, share us on your socials. All those kinds of things are really, really important. Amazing. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Everything she said, right? So (laughs) quick follow. Right. (laughs) Natalia, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. I appreciate you being here. And yeah, thank you very much, everybody. And check back again soon. Yeah, thank you.